When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, believers and non-believers, if you're listening to my show, then you probably love creepy stories and maybe even put them on before going to bed. If I'm describing you, then I have the perfect podcast for you to check out. Scare You to Sleep, hosted by Shelby Scott, is full of binaural sound effects that won't jerk you awake, but will creep you to sleep. You can expect quality stories from published and up-and-coming authors. No creepypasta here, because I'm sure you've heard them all already. Shelby also has some experimental episodes, such as Guided Nightmare, where she uses meditation exercises to immerse you as much as possible. You can even send in your own stories to the show. Shelby will be sharing one of her personal paranormal experiences in the second season of Stories with Sapphire, so keep an ear out for that. Scare You to Sleep is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. You're listening to Stories with Sapphire. I am Sapphire Sandalo. Now get cozy and open your mind because it's story time. Thanks for joining me for the first season finale of Stories with Sapphire, a podcast where I share a multicultural perspective on the supernatural through stories, interviews, and poems. If after the show you feel compelled to share a story, need paranormal advice, or want to share interesting paranormal news, send an email to storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. This is an independently run podcast. If you like what you hear and would like to support the show, consider becoming a patron. Visit patreon.com slash stories with Sapphire to see the different tiers and perks, such as a tarot reading from me. And I will actually be releasing a bonus episode in the next few weeks featuring the readings that I give so you can get a taste. I'd like to thank all of my current patrons for their support. My apologies for any mispronunciation. Ali Ball, Alvaro Martinez, Amy Garcia, Chelsea Weddle, Darnick Samcrow, Deborah Anaya, Dory Dewberry, Gavin, Kiki Meyer, Rebecca, Ryan Mangini, Tammy Brassard, Tanya Robledo, Tiffany Aitken, Victoria Santos, Xavier Martinez, and Zoe. Salamat Kaayo for all your support. A couple of years ago, I remember a close friend of mine had written in our group chat that he had ran into Anne Hathaway at a bar the night before. And one of my friends replied, pictures or it didn't happen. My friend then explained that when he had asked Anne for a photo, she smiled and apologetically said, I'm just having a night out with friends. Everyone else began to joke around, implying that my friend was making it all up. And I remember this really bothering me, because I was there that night, 
My friend had ran into her near the bathroom, told me what happened, and neither of us saw her again the rest of the night. I never saw Anne Hathaway myself, but I knew he wasn't lying. And why would he lie about this to our friends? What would anyone have to gain from something like this? Today, we document everything. Our phone cameras are now basically an extension of our hands. Because we have the ability to record everything, we are expected to record everything. Otherwise, it never happened. But photos and videos can't be completely reliable either. From Photoshop to deep fakes, it seems like it's become harder and harder every day to have trust anymore. And in the paranormal world, trust is everything. Not everyone can see, feel, or hear spirits. Not everyone experiences paranormal phenomena in their lifetime. And yet, around half of the population considers themselves a believer. Why? Because they trust people's stories. If I have learned anything from the interviews I have done, it's how to be a non-judgmental listener. I wasn't there when these stories took place, so even if I wanted to debunk them, I couldn't. And regardless of whether or not the story was paranormal, their experience was real. What they felt was real. That's what this week's episode is about. Threats that are invisible to some and painfully real to others. I don't intend to make you all believers of the supernatural, but I do hope that you become a believer of people, even if it is about something as trivial as seeing Anne Hathaway at a bar. Chapter 1. Bloody George Mackenzie. Our first story comes from Charlie in the UK, a former non-believer. Growing up, I was always a pretty avid atheist. I loved Hitchens and writers like that. I look back at those books and the version of me that loved them with sadness, at my ignorance and my disrespect. I suppose what I'm trying to say is, I wasn't going to be easily fooled and I wasn't going to be one for hysteria. Despite not believing in it, I've always loved the paranormal. For me, it used to be almost like looking at an animal in a zoo. It was on the other side of my disbelief, so how could it ever hurt me? I went to ghost tours and giggled at the hammy acting, toured haunted houses, and rolled my eyes at the jump scare actors, but I loved seeking that thrill. So when I found a tour that lets you into the forbidden crypt at Edinburgh, of course I had to go. So, there's a crypt in Edinburgh, Scotland, that has been sealed by the city. As the story goes, the activity in it started after a man experiencing homelessness broke in to find somewhere to sleep and disturbed the spirit of a particularly cruel judge. After this, the spirit has done nothing but harm people. The first occurrence was a female jogger who was going through the ancient graveyard when she just suddenly passed out. Then another person was hit over the head outside of his crypt. Freaky, but coincidences happen, right? Well, this wasn't a coincidence. It happened time and time again. People were violently attacked and hurt in one way or another until the Edinburgh City Council decided the spirit, labeled a poltergeist, was far too dangerous and locked the gates to that half of the cemetery for good. Almost. 
One tour in Edinburgh is dedicated to investigating this activity and uses the tour money to fund their investigation, and they let you into the crypt in small groups. First, we toured the underground, and in the pitch blackness, it can get a little creepy. The acting was pretty good, so I was enjoying myself as they told us stories of the hundreds of people forced to live underground where disease and starvation killed most of them. Then, they took us to the crypt. Before we went in, we were given a set of rules. Nobody is to go to the back half of the crypt. No women are to be left alone in the crypt. You form a semicircle around the door and listen to the stories, but men have to be at the back. This poltergeist, we were told, hates women. I rolled my eyes at the guide. As the only girl there in a dress, I saw him shooting me worried glances, but I grinned and nodded at him to let him know I wasn't worried. He looked all the more afraid. As a semicircle was formed, I got pushed to the back. I tried to raise my hand and get his attention, and he called me forward with the rest of the women, which was fine until he made us jump near the start of his story, and everyone shuffled a little to get comfortable again, and I, of course, got pushed to the back. My husband was behind me with his arms wrapped tightly around me, so I wasn't even worried, and the guide was lost in the story of the poltergeist activity, so he didn't even notice I'd been pushed to the back again. I was listening intently when I heard a harsh chuckle from next to me, and I turned my head and saw an old man in our group craning his neck forward. He looked at me as if to say, Can you believe this crap? And I smiled and looked back at the tour guide. Then I felt this anger. I can't explain it any other way. I've never understood what people mean when they can sense an evil spirit, but now I do. It was awful. There was this sense of total despair, like all the love and joy had been taken from the world and there was no light left. I felt it hate me. I felt it want to kill me. Then it attacked me. I was standing in my husband's arms when it, whatever it was, went for me. It scratched down my throat, leaving three bright red marks from just below my ear to my collarbone. The pain was searing, and I yelled out and looked around in confused panic, and the old man was laughing again. I shot him a scowl and pushed through the group to get out of the crypt. The tour guide finished his story and took me back to the office to get photos of my obvious injury and take an account of what happened. He looked at me sadly and just said, I had a feeling it would be you. He's been quiet for ages, but as we were walking, I could, I could feel it. Maybe it's because you were the only woman in a skirt. He hates women. Maybe it was your confidence he couldn't stand. And as we were getting closer, I wanted to tell you to sit it out, but but I wouldn't have listened. I finished for him, sadly. We sat and talked about it for a while, and I mentioned that rude old man who was laughing at my agony. Oh, I'm so sorry about that, he said. I stared at him. You must have heard him laughing at you too, though. He was at the back with me, older guy, slender, kind of weather-beaten. He was laughing so loudly, I thought it was so rude. Honey, my husband chimed in, 
There were only like eight guys on the tour, and the only older guy stayed outside the crypt because he had a walking stick and the ground was too uneven for him. Remember? I rolled my eyes. No, I know that guy, and it wasn't that guy. I'm talking about the other one. Now both of them were looking at me with concern. I explained my brief interaction with the old man, and the guide looked at me with understanding. That makes sense, he said. This judge, this poltergeist detests women, and so when you ignored him, I think he took it as an insult. He died in a time when women were meant to be quiet and respectful, so I don't think he liked you from the offset. Then when you ignored him, it seems he got enraged. You're lucky those scratches were all you got. I haven't seen him manifest like that, and I haven't seen him this violent for a while. Just watch yourself getting home, all right? I nodded shakily, and we went back to our hotel. Luckily, that was the last time I saw that ghost. What Charlie encountered is known as the Mackenzie Poltergeist, who haunts the Greyfriars Cemetery in Edinburgh, Scotland. Since 2004, there have been over 500 reported cases of attacks. People were scratched, shoved, some had collapsed. Whether or not these attacks actually did originate from the same spirit, the sheer fact that so many instances like these are happening in that area is enough to call your attention. But if I've learned anything from doing this series, it's that you could live your whole life completely unbothered by any supernatural phenomena. But if the spirit realm really wants your attention, it will make itself known. If you're brave enough to challenge the Mackenzie Poltergeist, I've included a link to the tour website on storieswithsapphire.com. Chapter 2. Get down. While out at dinner with some old friends from elementary school, I mentioned that I was starting a new podcast, and after explaining what the show was about, my friend said, you should talk to my mom. Many of the people you hear on the show are my friends or family members or their friends and family members. That's one of my favorite things about doing this show. I've met so many fascinating people, all of us connected by this thread of supernatural stories. Now, here's my friend's mom. Um, my name is Linda Lauer, and I live in Camarillo. Probably from the time I was a little child, I was aware that my mother had unusual experiences. She was always very interested in that, and so I became aware that I had some similar experiences. Linda has had quite a few premonitions throughout her life. Sometimes I just have a sense that I know something's going to happen. I, I used to call into this one radio station forever, and how many I don't know how many people would call in with the right answer, and then within an hour they'd pick a name out of the hat or spit out of a computer or something, and they would call. And I got up that morning, and I just knew that they were going to call me. And I called in the answer, and within the hour, the phone rang, and then it stopped ringing right away. And I thought, well, I know they're calling me. I hope they call back. I don't know why they hung up. And literally, they called back right then. I've had a few of those... <laughs> There used to be, um, on KNX years ago, they would have people call in with traffic alerts, you know, that before they got better at it. But people would call in and 
and they would just say, oh, we got a call from so-and-so, uh, you know, there's a tie-up on this freeway, and they, you know, but they would mention people by name, and I was driving one day, and I said, the next person that's going to call is going to call herself Simi Valley Sal, and they said, we just got a call from Simi Valley Sal, and she said, and I thought, wow, that was weird. <laughs> The most of the time when there's a feeling attached to it is if I've had a very vivid dream and then I wake up and I just kind of sit there and I process it and try to see is there anything in this. And the only ones that have ever been significant have been, you know, when I dreamed that someone had died and I didn't know and I haven't even talked to them for a long time. and. So now I've gotten to the point, if I have one of those dreams, I tell my husband the next morning and I say, let's write down the date. So I can't say, you know, two weeks from now, oh, I dreamed that. But I have lost very, very close friends, including someone very recently. And I had no premonition of that or no, no before or after sense of it. So there's no rhyme or reason to when I dream that. These visions range from trivial to significant and always occur unexpectedly beyond Linda's control. And the vision in the following story is the one Linda may never fully understand. Yeah, this happened many years ago. The girls, of course, my daughters, my two daughters are now well into adulthood. Uh, but they were probably about 8 and 11. And we were just taking a Saturday afternoon trip to the local library which is just a few miles from our house. And as I was driving, I had this vision, is the only way I can describe it. I had a very uh, visual experience. And so I just blurted out to my daughters, if I ever tell you, just get down. Don't question me. Just do it. And they, they said, what are you talking about? And I said, I don't know. I just had a very strange experience and so if that ever happens just do what I say and literally a minute later we were driving into the parking lot of the library and as I passed the front door on my way to look for a parking space literally somebody was pointing a gun at the car we passed right through line of fire of somebody and it was exactly what my vision had been and I just screamed to the girls get down and I just kept driving and luckily there's a there were two entrances so I was able to just to drive through and keep going and I got home probably within five minutes and my husband said what are you doing home so soon you just left and I just said don't ask me just a minute and I ran to the phone and called 911. And I explained what had just happened. And they said, well, just a minute, let's let's check. And then they got back on the phone and they said, yes, it's one of ours, it's actually an INS agent. And I said, you know, they're standing between the entrance to the library and the driveway. So anybody who drives through is going to be in the line of fire, whatever that is. So I don't care who's holding the gun, it's a Saturday and that place is loaded with parents and kids, you know. So afterwards, you know, the girls and I were just processing it and they just, all of us just thought, wow, this is so strange. Um, I never knew what to call it, you know, if it was precognition or, but 
It was probably the most vivid experience I ever had. I found out months later, uh, I, I belonged to a group of women that supported a, a nonprofit that I worked with, and one of the women mentioned that incident that her son had been involved in a shoplifting incident very near there, and at the time there was a Kmart within, gosh, blocks practically of the library, and an INS agent, um, immigration agent, somehow got the call, and so he was the one, the immigration agent was the one pulling a gun on this young man, so I never even knew his name, and frankly can't even remember who his mother was, but I said, you know, I was at the library that day. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was my my connection that that actually I, I knew the mother of the man, and ultimately he was taken into custody. I don't know whatever happened after that. I think we all have that that within us, but I think some people may just be more attuned or sensitive to it. And I think that came to me from the fact that my mother would talk about it. And so my awareness was fairly acute from a young age. So I'm not sure that it's anything unusual. I think maybe some people pay closer attention. When you look at all of Linda's premonitions together, there doesn't seem to be a common thread among them. It truly seems random. But that's what I love about them. These supernatural occurrences are as random and unexpected as anything non-supernatural. This is just part of everyday life. And the more open you are to them, the more you'll start to notice them. And who knows, maybe you'll start having premonitions of your own. I know I have. Before I became a podcaster and paranormal investigator, I used to be a full-time animator and character designer, and podcasts kept me company while I drew, especially paranormal podcasts. One of my favorites was Jim Harold's Campfire. I would actually be shocked if you hadn't heard of it because it's one of the OGs. In fact, it recently celebrated its 13th anniversary. But if you haven't heard of it, it's a call-in show where ordinary people share their extraordinary stories with Jim every week. The story topics range from ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and stories that can't be categorized. You're listening to my show right now, so I know that you love non-fictional paranormal stories. Stories involving the serial killer Ted Bundy, or a man who owned a haunted hotel. And also heartwarming stories of deceased loved ones coming back to say hello. Jim Harold's Campfire was a huge inspiration for me. So do me a personal favor and tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Stories with Sapphire. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 
I know that times are pretty scary right now, but practicing social distancing and sheltering at home is the only way that we can flatten the curve and stop the spread of COVID-19. And there's plenty to do while you're at home, like listen to all the podcasts. From Penguin Random House and Read It Forward comes The Adaptables, a show that dives into the most buzzed about book-to-screen adaptations. This season will feature the Hulu adaptation of Celeste Ng's Little Fires Everywhere. After you watch Little Fires Everywhere on Hulu, make sure you tune in to The Adaptables, which brings together authors, insiders, and Celeste Ng herself to discuss each episode of the show, the makings of a great adaptable, and why watching and reading are important self-care rituals. Hosted by two binge-watching and book-loving besties, Abby Wright and Emma Schaefer, The Adaptables is your friendly guide to -to book-to-screen adaptations. You can find The Adaptables anywhere you listen to podcasts or visit readitforward.com. Check them out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at readitforward. If you want to suggest a future adaptation for the show or just want to say hi, email adaptablespod at gmail.com. Chapter three, it might still be here. Uh, so essentially ever since I was a child, I've pretty much been a magnet. I've been very sensitive. This is Robin Alexanders from Spring City, Pennsylvania. Um, and I say that I've been a magnet too because anytime I've been anywhere that might be repeatedly, uh, inhabited, haunted, or any kind of activity, I'll feel it. And I would also describe myself as clairsentient, meaning a lot of people are familiar with clairvoyant where they can see. I'm more clairsentient where I can feel it. I can feel the shift in energy. I can a lot of times even pinpoint the, if you step here, everything is typical. And then if you step here, just everything will change. But, and I'm also an empath, so I'm incredibly sensitive to other people's energy. And I will absorb it and pick it up immediately. And sometimes it gets overwhelming and I have to step back. Or if it's negative, I have to remove myself from situations. So, It just really became one of those things where people that really just accepted me for me just accepted that that was part of who I was. Um, And sometimes I would kind of preempt, you know, when I have roommates or things like that, I would tell them, look, I'm kind of going to apologize in advance if strange or unusual things happen. I'm not causing it myself, I don't think, but in the sense of, like, when I refer to myself as a magnet, I think that when... I'm in environments where there are spirits, they can sense that I'm sensitive and receptive. So that's why, you know, they will attach. It's not unusual for me to go somewhere that's active and then come home and have someone or something follow me home. I've actually been able to determine there's a pattern. An average stay is about two weeks. Throughout my whole life, maybe I would say about 90% of it has been positive. Positive or neutral, there have been those occasions where it actually has been very negative and and situations that I've just had to deal with. The following story is one of those negative times. This actually was a location that was kind of on my radar, like, okay, a lot of people talk about. I had gone to check it out. Initially, I had gone to check it out with some friends just to kind of scope out the physical safety. 
And I think a lot of people don't often think about that. They think it's really cool to check out places that are quote-unquote haunted, and they think about spirits or paranormal activity, but they don't think about the physical safety, you know, especially if it's an abandoned place. You know, just debris, broken glass, wild animals, you know, who knows. So I had gone to a place uh, to check out just to make sure that it was going to be okay. I didn't really sense anything. And that's that's sometimes happens to me, too. I can go somewhere, and I don't really sense anything immediately, which doesn't mean that there's nothing there. It's just for whatever reason, I'm not picking up on it. I uh, didn't really think much, like, you know, scripted out, like, okay, this might be good to come back to. Didn't really think much of it. Came back, and the the next day, I had an interesting experience in my house. I was on the couch. I was sitting on the couch. It was early in the morning with my dog, and my dog suddenly got very, very aggressive. And he's not like that. And he seemed to be focusing on the opposite corner of the couch. He was in full defense mode. I mean, he was growling, you know, back arched. And simultaneously, the temperature dropped, I would say, at least 20, 25 degrees. I didn't have any open windows. There were no cracks, nothing like that. And I looked over towards this corner. He's sort of advancing to the corner of the couch, and he's backing up, and he looks like he's just agitated and, and, and also ready to just kind of count. And I got flashes. I got images of something on my couch. And it wasn't like a typical spirit experience because it was shifting in, in what it looked like. And it made me very, very uncomfortable. I wasn't really connecting that this might have come from the place that I had been at the night before. I, you know, I burned some sage, took a while to kind of dissipate, and I just kind of put it out of my mind. I went back to that location uh, with friends, and there was a chair broken remnants of a chair, there was some broken glass, it was like could have been remnants of a mirror, um, specifically. Other than that, most of it was debris and, and all of that. And started to hear some noises, started to hear some, what sounded like growling, but it was almost like a disconnected growling. It wasn't like there was an animal or something right there, it was almost like an echo. And then I started to feel just not myself. I started to feel very heavy. Um, I started to feel like there was something in this room and something very unpleasant. And it was at that time, too, that I started to get impressions of the same shifting being that I had experienced in my house. Kind of all just happened so fast. I'm feeling this. No one else is really feeling this. I am. And then I started to see things on the wall. And when I say I see things, like, I see, you know, it, it just, it changes for me. So it may not change for you. You and I can be in the same room and everything may look the same. But things change for me. And I started to notice different things on the wall, um, words and etchings. And it was, it was uncomfortable. It was, it was violent words. And it was like blood streaked across the wall. And I said, you know, I, I, I can't be here. I have to leave. I have to get out of here. And my friends were like, okay, just step outside. We're going to stay here for a little bit. And I said, something's not right here. And I, I don't like, the, I don't think, in my experience, I'm, I'm sensing that I don't think it's human. I stepped outside. I don't know what they did exactly. I don't know what they said while I remained outside. But I suddenly felt this Russian energy hit me. 
in the chest and I felt very faint and I was overwhelmed with emotion. It was a combination of rage, it was a combination of crying and just, I, I became very faint and um, I called out for one of my friends and they actually had to um, put their arms around me and, and help me physically walk um, just away from there. At that point, I thought, okay, I'm done. I've seen and experienced all I need to do in this location. I don't think I'm going to come back. <laughs> but I did. Because there was also this strange fascination for me that this was something unlike I had never experienced. I was uncomfortable. I was a little bit fearful. But at the same time, I was strangely fascinated. I went back. I went back about two weeks later. I don't remember all of the details of what happened. So there's bits and pieces, and there's things that I've gathered from others. There was something about the chair, and friends of mine had said that, you know, legends had said that the chair had been connected to, you know, occult activity or, or whatnot. You know, who knows? But there was something strangely fascinating about this old, broken-down chair. So I kept feeling attracted to this chair. And this is now when I've gone back after all of this has happened. Um, And in the meantime, too, let me also add, too, that my dreams were all over the place. I was having very bizarre dreams. I was having dreams that involved whatever this meaning was. Again, just shifting its appearance and all of that. I was having very restless sleep. I was having a lot of just unusual experiences, even for me, in my house. But anyway, so now I'm back. And as soon as I walked back in, I felt like I had to touch the chair, and yet I couldn't touch the chair. But I felt that that was necessary to whatever was going on. And I started to see three different aspects of whatever this being was. So in one corner of the room, I saw a child that was promising me all of these things. Uh, Because I could hear the voice. I could see it. I could hear the voice. Um, it was telling me about playing in the shadows. Uh, you have to come play with it. And then in another corner of the room, there was another what looked like a child um, who was telling me to play the rope game. And essentially the rope game, um, I think, involved either strangulation or hanging. I mean, this, this was all of the imagery that I was seeing. And then there was a third being or um, that kept talking to me about, you know, just, just touch the, you know, we have things to show you, just touch the chair. This is all going on. Nobody else is sensing this. So it's a sensory overload for me. Um, and then at that point, things get fuzzy because I felt myself not be me. I could feel things change within me, and I essentially became a different persona related to all of this activity that was going on that I could sense. And I think it lasted for about an hour. According to them, I was just different. I was different in my mannerisms. I was different in my speech. I was different in everything. I almost became very childlike um, and active like a child. And it all kept revolving back to, if I just touch the chair, I will get all of these things. Sit in the chair, Robin. When they finally kind of 
I think, grabbed me and, and started talking to me and trying to break me of whatever this was. Again, there was that rush of emotion where um, I became very faint. I broke down physically um, and fainted and had to be physically carried out of there. And then at that point, it was just sort of like a drain. I was just completely drained. I had some friends that kind of drew some protection symbols on me to um, help alleviate whatever was going on. And later that evening when I went to sleep, I remember waking up in the middle of the night with the sensation of burning. And I mean burning, like my skin just on fire all across where they had drawn these symbols. And for the next two days, my mind was actually really preoccupied with really extreme, violent, uncomfortable thoughts where I kind of just had to keep to myself for a couple of days because I just didn't feel myself. And then it dissipated. I didn't return. I never returned to that location. Um, and so you think it ends there. But it didn't. No, it it sort of stayed in my dreams for a long time and different aspects, showing me things, so to speak, showing me just a whole bunch of things, unpleasant things. I don't know, whatever happened that particular night, something got in me. After this experience, I did sketches of things that I saw. I wrote about it. And I found, too, that when I concentrated on that room and those objects, I found that my writing became actually very different. Physically, my handwriting was different. The words were different. It was just almost like whatever it was still affected me. I don't know. I get inklings of it in my head every now and then, or impressions or dreams. I think to a certain degree, I think it's still here, or it's still attached. I actually was at a thrift store and I saw a piece of furniture that looked like it could have been similar to what the broken furniture could have been like. And I bought it. I mean, it's not obviously the same thing, but it's very reminiscent. And so I find that strange attraction still to whatever it was. Despite all of my experiences and my abilities, I'm actually, I can be pretty tough when it comes to if you tell me that a place is haunted. And and I'm also uh, somebody that actually will try to, to debunk. So like I said, if you take me somewhere and say, oh, you know, this has a reputation of blah, 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 blah. I don't go in there automatically thinking. I go in there actually trying to think that there's another explanation. So I think one of the reasons why this really uh, affected me the way it did too was this place had a very, 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 very strong reputation. So it wasn't so much that I disbelieved, but I, I suppose I underestimated just what could be there. A couple of my friends just aren't very much believers. So they actually, throughout this, all of these experiences, felt nothing, experienced nothing. They watched me. And it was just like, I'm not sensing a damn thing. Robin was the only one who felt the presence as hard as she did. And even though no one else was feeling what she was feeling, 
her experience was not any less real. Have there been any times in your life where you thought a friend may be exaggerating or a family member was being dramatic? Was your first instinct to verify the facts of their story, or was it to tend to their emotional needs? People all over the world are suffering from invisible threats every day, paranormal or otherwise. I hope these stories remind you to speak more kindly, listen more carefully, and live more openly. That concludes the first season of Stories with Sapphire. Season 2 will begin on May 20th, but there will be a few special bonus episodes until then, so make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It would also help a ton if you left a rating and review to help boost the show's visibility. And head to patreon.com slash stories with Sapphire to see the perks you'll receive by supporting the show. Do you want your supernatural story featured on the next season? Send me an email at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. Salamat and good night. Stories with Sapphire is created and produced by me, Sapphire Sindalo. Bloody George McKenzie was written by Charlie. Special thanks to my guests, Linda Lauer and Robin Alexanders. Music written by Sapphire Sindalo. For more information on this episode and my guests, visit storieswithsapphire.com.